0: hauling just look at the load
1: i'm hauling hard work i hit it harder ain't nothing new for a
2: backwoods farmer sun up to sundown, backing up traffic all the way to town camo hat and a farmer's town Welcome to Fastline Fast Track, presented by
3: Fastline Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Well, welcome to another episode of Fast Line Fast Track. It's great to have you with us. This week, John Deere's Jenny Batting tells us about key updates to the manufacturer's John Deere Operations Center. We also continue our coverage of the virtual American Farm Bureau Federation convention, hearing from Oklahoma State University, ag economist Darrell Peel on his outlook look for the livestock markets in 2021 and we hear outtakes of lando lakes president and ceo beth ford's fireside chat with farm bureau federation president zippy duval jesse allen is along with his market talk updates and the hot rod farmer ray Bo Hacks has another installment of bushels and cents we also bring you some of the standout musical performances on Fastline fast track over the past year you won't want to miss a moment of this one let's go well, first up this week on Fastline Fast Track, as we've talked about many times on the show, agricultural equipment manufacturers have largely evolved into technology companies that put iron around the latest and in innovative digital technology. And John Deere was really in the spotlight in this past week as they unveiled some of their latest technologies at the virtual consumer electronics show. And uh, in addition to that, they also had a pretty big announcement about some significant enhancements for their cloud based operations center. Focused on greater mobility and streamlining of processes. And here to discuss some of those changes is Jenny Batting, who is the go to market manager for digital technology. And Jenny, welcome back to Fastline Fast Track.
4: Well, oh, thanks, Brent. I'm glad to be here. Excited to talk about our uh, new operations center release.
3: Well, I tell you, farming has become driven more and more by connectivity in recent years, and farmers are relying on mobile options to manage all facets of their farming operations. And these enhancements really speak directly to that need.
4: Absolutely. Yeah, Um, a lot of our customers today have our uh, My Operations app, which with this January release, we have renamed it to Operations Center Mobile. And the reason for that renaming, with this January release of Op Center, we really simplified and unified the navigation between the experience um, in the office on the web and on our mobile device. So that's why we renamed it to Operation Center Mobile. You'll see similar navigation between the two. Um, So I think it's something that our customers have been looking for.
3: And, uh, you know, as you guys noted in a release here, it brings new level of clarity and organization to, to farm data management. And, uh, you know, we, we talk about the work planner feature. Uh, one of the cool things here now is that it's all cloud-based. And we all know the stories of, of people who uh, have been operating for years on thumb drives and, and leave them in their pockets and run them through the wash and... Run out of storage space and everything else. And this takes a lot of that guesswork out and it makes it instantly shareable among different platforms and in different pieces of equipment. And it just really ties it all together.
4: Absolutely. You know, with this release, you said, uh, it brings some clarity and organization, which I'm gonna talk a little bit about the, the navigation. So if you go into operation center, either on the web or the mobile, you'll see a new kind of navigation bar in the web. It'll say set up, plan, analyze more. And of course, from a monitoring perspective, you've got the map view. And when you go into your mobile device, you'll now see a new plan tab um, at the bottom. And with that plan tab, you touched on our new work planner tool. And with that, you can set up, uh, you know, predefine that setup up information uh, for your operator for yourself. So when you get to the field, there's less button pushes. It's all there. You're ready to go. Takes kind of the guesswork out of that. And planning that work can be done on the mobile device or on the web um, in the work planner tool. So great new feature out there. From planning work, it could be as simple as a a generic operation, let's say tillage, planting, application, harvest, or you can plan out in more detail, um, including, you know, fields, uh, the the equipment that you're gonna be using, guidance lines, the operator, you know, seed or chemical that's gonna be applied, um, prescriptions. So you can really build it out, um, or like I said, it could be just a a generic, operation too.
3: So to get the most out of these uh, different uh, ag precision technologies that you have, uh, farmers really need four basic things. If you could uh, walk us through what's needed to to get the most out of this.
4: Yeah. So um, a Starfire receiver, uh, a Gen 4 display operation center, and a JD link connection. So that JD link connection really is that pipeline or that connection from the cloud to your equipment um, or vice versa. You know, having that receiver gives you the the precise, uh, you know, uh, GPS. And then that Gen four, um, specifically with the work planner, work planners um, only only works with a Gen four display. So, um, being able to send, you know, that work information uh, to that display and then again when you get in the field if you pull into a boundary it's going to pop up with that planned work you can hit the button and, and off you go
3: and i know there's probably some holdouts that are listening to this that that uh, maybe their head just starts swimming when they start to think about all the possibilities and all the technology that's available here talk about the intuitiveness of this and the ease of use and 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 just the benefit they bring to the farm
4: Absolutely. You know, especially with this uh, January release and and really um, that new look and feel and navigation, I think it's really helpful um, in that kind of setup, plan, monitor, analyze, kind of bucketing. So when I think about, you know, okay, I'm getting ready to, you know, set up, get ready to go to the field, all the tools that I need are right in there. Same with plan. So I think it's just that ease of use. If you haven't um, been out to the operation Center or haven't used uh, Operation Center Mobile or app, I would suggest going out there and, and downloading the app and taking a look at that, um, that ease of use. And, you know, we, we talk about all the different tools that are in there, but I guess I would start out download that app, get familiar with it. You know, if you today maybe don't have a JD Link connection um, you know, talk with your local dealer about getting that connection to, you know, start that ease or that pipeline of getting that information back and forth, um, from the cab without having to worry about, you know, your USB, uh, losing that, you know, those are some of the first steps that you can, can take. Also with this January release, um, if you just go to operationcenter.deer.com, if you don't have an account today, just go to the website. It gives you some basic information on the operation center and you can set up account um, right away. It's, it's free. So you can go out there and, and take a look.
3: Uh, and the improved operation center is active online and on the iOS version for Apple mobile products is available in the Apple app store. Now the Android version I understand is going to be coming from Google play here in the coming weeks.
4: Yep. Yep. So go out there. It is. Uh, we did launch the, the web version on the 13th of January. So if you go out there and take a look. And like you said, you can go out to the Apple Store today and download that update if you don't have automatic uh, updates on your phone and be looking for that Android here in, in the coming weeks.
3: And as Jenny said, new users can create an Operations Center account at operationscenter.dear.com or contact their local John Deere dealer for more information. And this isn't just the end of it here. You guys are, are uh, constantly updating this thing, tweaking it and uh, listening to uh, customer feedback and, and just improving upon it.
4: Absolutely. You know um, we're always listening to our customers and our dealers, getting that feedback of, you know, what other functions and features they're looking for to help them within their operations. Um, so, with this January launch, our next re- launch will be um, the second week of March. So we'll have some additional features coming then. Um, and we do have uh, releases six times a year, so every other month. So we're always um, trying to take that feedback and, and put it into play and, and get those functions and features out that customers
3: are looking for. Well, in many parts of the country, planting season is just around the corner here. So this is a great time to download that uh Software, uh, get familiar with it, uh, st- start putting yourself a plan together so you'll be all ready to roll once it's time to hit the fields. And Jenny, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fastline Fast Track. We'd love for you to come back and provide us an update here anytime you want.
4: Absolutely. Thanks, Brent. Really appreciate your time and letting me share about our exciting new release and look forward to talking to-
3: with you in the future. Again, that's Jenny Batting, the Go To Market Manager for Digital Technology with John Deere. Chandler Equipment. For 51 years, Chandler Equipment has been manufacturing excellence. The finest quality in pull type and truck mount fertilizer line spreaders and litter spreaders, fertilizer tenders, seed tenders, and litter conveyors. They also sell a full line of Raven Industries Precision Ag products. To find out more about the full Chandler product line and to find a Chandler Equipment dealer near you, visit ChandlerEquipment.net or give them a call at 800-243-3319. Well, next up this week on Fast Side Fast Track, we take you back to last week's American Farm Bureau Federation virtual annual convention, where we sat in on a panel discussion about the outlook for the livestock markets in 2021. The session featured Farm Bureau economist Michael Nepview and director of congressional relations Scott Bennett, as well as Daryl Peel, an agricultural economist with Oklahoma State University. This week, I wanted to share with you some of the remarks of Dr. Peel, who took a deeper dive into the tumultuous year in 2020 and what might lie ahead in 2021.
5: Uh, You know, one of the things, obviously, is that we're still dealing with this pandemic. As much as we'd like it to be a past issue, it's not yet a past issue. Um, So we're still dealing with it. We're still not quite sure, particularly this winter and in the first part of of 2021. Um, You know, we've got to continue dealing with it. Uh, We do have vaccine implementation now beginning. And and so we can sort of see a path towards an end to this thing. Uh, But that's going to take a few months. And and certainly, I think the first half of the year is going to be a continuation of kind of what we were dealing with. Uh, In 2020, from the standpoint of of the pandemic, that means, uh, among other things, that we continue to see the uh, limitations in the food service sector uh, that, uh, you know, again, that's uh, half or more of our market uh, that is uh, substantially restricted. Still, Uh, we're still putting a lot of emphasis on the retail grocery sector uh, to compensate for that. And so uh, those challenges, some of the product market challenges uh, that go with that will continue as we go forward. Um, you know, some of the residual effects of the initial shocks that uh, are, you know, the initial shocks are, are in many cases, mostly past. The impacts, for example, on the, the packing and processing sectors, um, you know, most of the, those big shocks are, are past. But certainly some of the tails of that is still a little bit with us. I think we're working through most of those. Um, You know, as he mentioned, uh, we did see, uh, for example, significant backlogs of both cattle and hogs during that period, and we've been working uh, really ever since then to get uh, fully past those. I think on the cattle side, we're we're largely, uh, you know, cleaned up from that, but we've seen lots of dynamics in the cattle on feed reports the last few months that indicate kind of the ups and downs of, of, uh, you know, getting those uh, ripple effects, if you will, uh, work through the system. And so, again, that's kind of uh, where we start 2021.
3: Peel also discussed the impact drought conditions could have on the cattle markets.
5: We've got very widespread drought in the western part of the country. Uh, it's wintertime, and so the drought issues are, are not having necessarily a huge immediate impact. Uh, but if this persists and we start uh, you know, into a warm grazing season and, and uh, crop production season, uh, with these kind of drought conditions, we're going to see significant impact.
3: Peel said feed prices also likely will have some bearing on the markets.
5: And we already see significant increases in feed prices uh, based on the grain markets and the kind of demand that we've had there that has pushed prices up to levels we've not seen in recent years. And so, again, those are both factors that we kind of take into uh, you know take into account as we start this year.
3: Despite the challenges, Peel said there is cause for optimism as we begin 2021.
5: The good thing is that, uh, you know, to a large extent, cattle and beef markets ended 2020 on a fairly positive note. Um, we did see some price recovery late in the year. Um, you know, feeder cattle markets, particularly the lightweight calf markets, uh, finished 2020 pretty strong. Fed cattle markets uh, actually uh, came on pretty strong right at the end of December uh, last year. And, and uh, you know, beef markets, the wholesale beef market was up and down a lot through the fall of the year, but, um, you know, showed some stability. Uh, again, by the end of the year. And so we we're kind of starting uh, with, a, with a, uh, a little bit of momentum, I think, in these markets going forward. Um, you know, the longer term impacts is sort of where are we in the cattle cycle? Um, and if you recall, uh, cattle numbers really peaked in, or in 2019, excuse me, January of 2019, uh, from the standpoint of the beef cow herd, which is really the source of all supply in the industry. Uh, and so we had some liquidation coming into 2020, Uh, We saw that beef cow herd down a little bit over 1%. Um, And so the question is, what happened in 2020 that sets us up for 2021?
3: Peel said he expects to see a continued small liquidation of cattle herds in the new year.
5: It looks like we have a continuation of that slow herd liquidation. Uh, You know, I'm I'm anticipating that USDA will confirm at the end of January that we probably had another uh, one half to one percent decrease in the beef cow herd. Uh, and something along those lines, maybe a half a percent decrease in overall cattle numbers. The drought issues that I mentioned, uh, you know, are one thing that could change uh, things as we go forward in 2021.
3: Despite all the indicators such as drought, Peel said plenty of uncertainty remains as we try to predict what might happen in the markets in the coming months.
5: So, you know, I think what happens in 2021 in terms of the overall sort of cyclical trajectory of the industry is a little bit uncertain, not only because of, of, of that possibility, we have to watch those weather conditions and see what happens, but I think there's some market reasons. Uh, you know, again, we've sort of been in this slow drift, lower, not a pronounced liquidation. Um, obviously, if things turn south in a lot of ways in terms of global and U.S. economic uh, situation, uh, we could see that turn into a much more serious uh, uh, economic reason, market reason for uh, liquidation. I don't really see that happening, but I don't think you can totally rule it out at this point. On the other hand, uh, you know, if we uh, you know, move past the pandemic in some uh, measurable way uh, you know, through the first part of the year and, and uh, see a lot of progress in both the U.S. and global markets in the second half of the year, I think we could put together a scenario where we might actually be thinking about re, uh, restarting a little bit of herd expansion. Um, Again, all of those scenarios are possible. I don't know that you can really make a strong prediction one way or the other at this point, uh, but I think we have to just kind of watch that as we go forward.
3: In addition to a thinning of the number of cattle, Peel said he expects a slight decrease in carcass weights in 2021.
5: Um, You know, there's a long-term trend of carcass weights increasing, and I don't know that we've changed that, but relative to the, uh, the increase in carcass weights we had in 2020 that was caused by the delays in marketing cattle in a timely fashion during the year, uh, we'll probably see the the average carcass weights in 2021 pull back a little bit from those levels. And so for all of that reason, I would expect to see uh, something like a 1% to 2% decrease in in beef production as we go forward. We'll look at the numbers here in just a second. In general, from a supply standpoint, I think the supply side is generally supportive of the idea of, of you know, uh, some modest... Uh, uh, strength in prices going forward. I don't see supply being an extra burden, at least uh, in the beef industry in general, and I think uh, pretty much across the board.
3: Peel said he sees continued demand for beef headed through 2021.
5: If we look at um, the demand side, beef demand remained remarkably strong in 2020. I say that. I think uh from my standpoint as an economist, I was somewhat surprised that beef demand uh, and, the, and the protein demands in general perhaps stayed as strong as they, as they were in 2020, given all of the disruptions, all of the challenges and the macroeconomic challenges that we had uh, in the year. And, and that, that momentum carries forward. Uh, we do still have a focus on retail grocery for now, but uh, we can sort of see our way clear working through the year uh, to getting back to a little more typical situation with a little more balance maybe between the retail grocery side and the food service side. And all of that should be positive uh, for beef demand. Uh, obviously, consumer incomes become the key. Consumers have to have money to spend. One of the reasons that we did not see more impact on demand in 2020 was because we had significant amounts of stimulus, uh, federal support uh, for consumers to, to maintain spending and and to uh, to get through the situations they were dealing with. And, uh, and you know, we're gonna see a little bit more of that uh, certainly in the first part of 2021. Uh, so that's probably a key going forward. Uh, it's gonna be a longer term process to probably get uh, the unemployment rates back down certainly to anything like uh, pre-COVID levels. That's gonna take uh, several more months, but it, but it is an ongoing process.
3: Peel said he also has continued optimism for pork and poultry production in 2021. He predicted a slight decline in beef production over the same period.
5: Pork and poultry supplies will be abundant, uh, and you know, even if beef demand, if, if beef production drops a little bit, beef demand obviously has to keep an eye on those alternative proteins uh, from that perspective, and so we'll, uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll be watching those as well. Again, food service recovery will be an important component to to, uh, uh, to maintain demand going forward. Um, you know, one of the things that's a bit of an unknown right now is sort of what are the longer term effects, the longer things persist. Uh, a lot of the things you do initially in a uh, in a shock like, uh, you know, like COVID imposed on us in 2020. Um, the longer you go, then more permanent kinds of adjustments, different kinds of adjustments take place. And some of those are a bit unknown for us. Uh, so beef, we've got a forecast here of about a one percent uh, decrease in beef production in 2021. It could even wind up being a little bit bigger than that, uh, depending on how both the slaughter and carcass weights uh, turn out. Pork production was up about 3% in 2020 and is projected to continue at a slower pace, but probably something like a 2% increase again uh, in 2021. Broiler production uh, was up, uh, you know, one and a half, one to one and a half percent in 2020. Uh, and probably maintaining something like that going forward uh, into 2021. So, uh, you know, once again, the the total uh, protein production uh, number for the U.S. will be a record level again. We've done this for the last uh, five years or so. I think every year we've set a record in terms of total uh, protein supplies. Beef consumption on on a year-over-year basis may be down more like 3%. Um, pork production or pork consumption probably maintaining close to uh, 2020 levels in the coming year. Uh, Broiler production uh, consumption, excuse me, may may be down a little bit. And overall meat consumption in the U.S. might be down a little bit. That's positive in in terms of supporting overall uh, protein demand.
3: Peel said protein exports will play an important role in the new year
5: those trade numbers become important. If we look at these global protein markets, uh, you know, we're looking for some recovery. We did see beef uh, exports drop a little bit in 2020, uh, but in general, the Asian markets, for the most part, remain pretty strong. There was some month to month variation in 2020, uh, but uh, generally remain strong and finish the year pretty strong. Um, China is not one of our major markets right now, but we have continued to see significant growth from a U.S. perspective. One of the biggest markets for us that was uh, severely uh, impacted negatively in 2020 was Mexico. And and so the question of uh, recovery there would be uh, an important one as we think about 2021. Beef imports did increase in 2020 and are expected to moderate back from that level a little bit. Again, some of that was sort of product-specific things. Uh, We did produce a lot of... uh, you know, the, the fatty kind of trimmings, the 50% lean trimmings that we use to make ground beef, but you have to have a lot of lean to go with that. Um, and, you know, the, uh, the situation in 2020 tended to stimulate uh, uh, fast food kind of recovery quicker than other kinds of, uh, of uh, food service sectors. And so there was strong demand in, in 2020. That'll probably moderate a little bit in, in 2021. So they, we see that net trade picture from a beef standpoint with exports up, and imports down, both of those contribute to a, uh, a, a better net balance for uh, uh, for the beef side. In general, for all of the proteins and indeed all uh, agricultural commodities, exchange rates remain pretty supportive. Um, we've had a weaker dollar uh, recently that is expected to, to generally persist. Uh, so that helps uh, stimulate uh, export demand, uh, making US products a little more competitive. Quick comment on the pork side. Um, You know, the indications are, although there's some uncertainty about exactly what's happening, but there are indications are that the Chinese are making significant progress in rebuilding their hog industry, which was decimated in 2018 and 2019 with uh, African swine fever. Uh, That stimulated uh, a lot of uh, demand for protein uh, in China, a huge factor in 2020 for uh, the pork industry. But it looks like there's significant progress on the part of of, uh, China to rebuild that industry. So we may see their demand for imported proteins moderate a little bit. The US also exported a uh, significant amount of broiler meat to China in 2020. uh, And we had not been doing that. And so it was, uh, in fact, China very quickly became the number two broiler export market. um, And that may moderate a little bit as well. On the beef side, China has had a growing appetite for beef before uh, the the pork industry problems with African swine fever. Uh, And so their demand for beef continues pretty strong. The the protein deficit in China accentuated that, but I think the beef demand underneath that fundamentally is still pretty strong. And for the first 10 months of 2020, uh, compared to that same period in 2019, If you look at our major beef export markets, of course, Japan is the biggest and they actually through that 10 month period were a little bit bigger in 2020 compared to 2019. South Korea's number two, just off slightly, but quite close. Um, The biggest decrease again, there was Mexico, which uh, has been hammered by a significant uh, economic recession and and, uh, loss of purchasing power. And so that's been a major impact there uh, among our biggest markets. China there, uh, which again is actually the number seven market for U.S. beef exports uh, as of the first ten months of two thousand and twenty. Uh, 2020. Um, so it's it's not a big market by comparison, and yet it's growing very rapidly, and uh, and and is on pace to become um, you know to move up uh, very quickly to be one of our uh, top markets. Uh, potentially in the next uh, in the next couple of years
3: again that was oklahoma state university agricultural economist darrell peel Well, also during the American Farm Bureau Federation virtual convention, Beth Ford, the president and CEO of agricultural cooperative Land O'Lakes, joined Farm Bureau Federation President Zippy Duvall to talk about some of the hot button issues facing agriculture today. We have some of the outtakes from Ford's remarks, beginning with her thoughts on some of the most imminent challenges the industry faces.
6: We know we've still got about six months or more for this vaccine rollout. Um, This past year, I could not be prouder of the resilience of the farmers, our farmer members of our team who have come through this this very, very challenging operating environment and delivered terrific results for the foundational issue that is uh, tied to this cooperative and that is um, food production and agribusiness. What was interesting back in March was, uh, you know, in my role as CEO, when this started to come uh, forth as an issue, the pandemic, immediately did what you do check the liquidity of the business we have to be able to withstand anything that comes at us then check what um, the issues were that farmers were likely to um, encounter and then really work on the safety and security and health that includes the mental health of our team and that is what we've been focused on so as we step into 2021 i wish i could say boy we finished december 31st and that's over and now this this is going to be all bright skies um, that's not actually the case, we know that. We're gonna be in for some bumpy times as we come out of this pandemic um, and as we step into, I guess, normal. Um, what uh, you know, the priorities back then are still the priorities. We lead with our member health, our farmers, our team health, uh, their security, and we focus on the business partnerships that drive us um, over the long term. So those are what we're laser focused on. Now, we can talk about some strategic issues. We've got a new administration that's going to be stepping in, some of the ways that we can partner there, and I'm sure we'll have that as part of this conversation. But that is what we're, we're focused on as we start 2021.
3: Ford went on to discuss one of the key issues she believes will be facing the Biden administration, immigration reform.
6: Immigration reform is going to absolutely be critical. As I've touch base with the Biden administration that you know we continue to put voice to the fact that it's fine to talk about tech workers and immigration reform for tech workers, but we need some some um, uh, farm labor because otherwise it constrains us. One of the I don't want to call it a bright side, but I would say that uh, certainly it was made more obvious during this pandemic, the critical nature of our safe, affordable, resilient food supply. This is a national security issue. I say this all the time. We should all consider it this a national security issue Um, other countries china others are investing so that they can have a sustainable food supply that we already have and so we have to make sure we're investing appropriately that includes the use of technology in modern agriculture It includes reforms like immigration reform and the technology for use on the farm and in the rural communities and for the families that are farming for us as a nation. So I'm, I'm gratified that the resilience of the farmer, the the nature of the farmer in this pandemic has been made very clear. And that national uh, security issue of a safe, affordable food supply was made obvious to everybody. And boy, did, did the farmers deliver. And now we're stepping into what I hope is going to be, I guess, a more productive 2021. I see grain price up. You know, corn prices up, bean prices up. There's some some uh, stronger fundamentals, and I I'm uh, hopeful that that means we'll we'll start focusing on some of these other long-term issues like the investment in technology um, in communities and in agriculture that we know is so uh, critically important.
3: Ford also discussed lessons learned through the pandemic about the vulnerabilities and strengths of the food supply chain.
6: You know, from my perspective, you you really have kind of this really interesting dynamic. You have these kind of two countervailing pressure points. One, the farmer, has to um to deliver a safe affordable food supply affordable food and so that means you have to have lowest cost possible which demands efficiency which means the value chain is very tight because you can't have any slack in the value chain because otherwise you have too much expense and so how do you make sure that you have appropriate investments you have alternatives when you have a situation like this i don't know that there's going to be a necessary policy change what it does is it points out how tight this value chain is. How animals are grown to a particular point in time. And boy, if it backs up, now we're in the situation like we were in the hog markets, where we had to euthanize because we had, you know, we had a situation where we had an, uh, an oversupply and everything backed up. So this countervailing pressure is not is not unique to agriculture but boy did it really point out some of our gaps um, the second piece of this is what we all know about any business is that having a, a stable operating environment is critical you can be you can have the best performance and for agriculture my observation would be that means that the rural communities the investment in healthcare. care In these communities that have access to education for children, because these are families, Um, that is absolutely necessary. And we have underinvested in these communities in terms of of technology, in terms of roads and infrastructure, and other areas. And so, again, in this in this uh, dynamic, in this pandemic, what I'm. Gratified to say, is any conversation I've had um, with the last administration, or with the current administration, and then with the upcoming administration, had been focused on the necessity of investment in, um, in infrastructure. Yes, broadband. Yes, roads. Yes, um, you know, uh, water, transportation, um, but also around the access to healthcare. And so, our ta- our discussions around um, technology we were really accelerated um, with the the realization that we certainly had that telemedicine and, and medical access during a pandemic was gonna be critical. And we've had so many rural hospitals that have shut down. So it's hard to be productive in agriculture when you have to worry about whether you can get and see a doctor. Um, or, you know, for any kind of farm accident or for any kind of issue. It's hard to to be productive in agriculture if your children's school has shut down because of a pandemic and they don't have technology. You know, 18 million Americans lack access to broadband. 14 million of them are in rural America. So I'm I'm pleased to say that most of the discussions we have around infrastructure and around um, the future uh, investments around agriculture, yes, is going to be about the use of tools and yes, it'll be about looking at the value chain, but it's also about the ecosystem that we know is critical um, to having a stable operating environment for agriculture.
3: Ford then went deeper on the issue of broadband internet technology in rural America, which has been greatly discussed over the past few years and promises to continue to be front and center in the years to come.
6: Well, what we we started with even before the pandemic was you know awareness, advocacy, action, awareness, advocacy, action. So you know what was always interesting to me is. Uh, you could see this was a priority I was named CEO I was out in many communities I'm from Iowa these were my towns that I've known for forever you know and um, where our members are we touch over 10,000 rural communities across the United States we're in 50 states so when I'm out there I'm recognizing boy there's just been a lack of investment job creation in rural communities has only accounted for like six percent of new jobs over the last let's say five years and 60 plus percent are in urban areas so why is that and why are rural hospitals shutting down well we know technology is the wave of the future it's not the answer but we know it is it is like electricity it's like the 1930s rural electric initiative where we have to have that capability so that jobs can be created so that investment can be made so when we we started talking about this even before the pandemic And then it really was in sharp relief during this pandemic that without this access, there was going to be a left behind again um, narrative for many communities, including rural communities, because they were not gonna be able to access education or healthcare. We started by forming the American Connection Project, which is now 135 different organizations. Thank you to the American Farm Bureau. Thank you to many other partners, Cargill, Tractor Supply, A Microsoft, I mean, any number of companies that maybe were unaware of this gap previously, but now have joined hands and said, we've got to close this. This is about American competitiveness. This is an American issue. It is not a geographic issue within the United States, rural, urban, it is an American competitiveness issue. So we're advocating for a major investment, $80 billion plus, that's what the estimate is that will close this digital divide. We believe we need accurate mapping. Right? So we need to know where to invest. And we need a more efficient methodology for rollout. It can't be a jump ball between the FCC and USDA and other state and local agencies. It has to be implemented with speed. And so we're advocating. We have policy um, initiatives. where we're, we're working with DC, with governors, and uh, others to say this this should be a priority and one of the first priorities for infrastructure investment. The American Connection Project at the same time said, we got to take immediate action because it could take a long time to lay the wires. So, why don't we say, if you're in a rural community right now and you have Wi Fi, let's work with the Airband product for uh, Microsoft. Let's partner, let's turn your Wi Fi on, make it accessible to citizens in the town who can come and park outside and and maybe finish their homework or access a doctor or something and so right now we have i want to say it's like 2600 sites across 49 states Um, we certainly turned our sites on i know uh, similarly um, uh, you did as well and uh, we've we've been told um, for instance tractor supply they turned it on they've had over a million visitors we're having thousands a day who are pulling up and saying, this is a way that they can uh, get some access. So we wanted to do something immediately, you know, kind of grassroots, and then over the long-term work on the policy issues um, and prioritizing this as one of the number one investments for an infrastructure bill in this next administration.
3: Ford also expanded on her thoughts on the need for improved telehealth options in rural America.
6: You know, there have been over 130 rural hospitals that have shut down in the last couple of years, and it's not like they're so numerous anyway. And one of the fundamental areas uh, of that and what we heard in this partnership for American Connection Project in our partnership with the Mayo Clinic, for instance, and with the Cleveland Clinic is that they have had more telemedicine appointments in one day than they had all of last year. This has been an accelerant and to me will be a stabilizer for these communities because you're also not going to go to a community where you don't have access to a doctor, you know, uh, for for the long term. Secondarily, one of the other portions of that is that they've seen a great increase and I think we should take tremendous confidence and, and excitement in this in mental health appointments mental health appointments, because again 90% of providers are in urban or suburban areas there's a huge gap in rural areas for mental health providers and, as we all know far, uh Suicides rural suicides have been increasing at a rate greater than in any, many other communities so having that access they've also had a, a significant reduction when it's a telemedicine appointment for a mental health provider like a 60% decline in appointments not kept. It's about the mental emotional health and about the physical health and so that access and broadband in addition to being on the farm having the right tools having the right access to to, um, to issue or to providers like this, I think is going to be a great stabilizer and uh, something that can accelerate growth in some of these communities.
3: Ford also spoke on another continuing hot button issue in agriculture, sustainability, and climate smart farming practices.
6: Farmers, the original environmentalists, everything at stake. This is their livelihood, their way of life. They invest constantly in their land and new practices to improve the soil health, the water, the, the air. Um, and, and so we know um, that those improvements have led to an improved posture for agriculture. There are a couple things that I think of and that we think of as we think about sustainability going forward in climate, um, climate change. One is that banks will start lending against investment that, that uh, farmers are making to make sure that their land is resilient. We should understand that. That is likely to happen, it already is. Carbon will start to get priced more aggressively. So um, we've seen a carbon market trading. We've partnered now with Nori, uh, who wants to be like the eBay of carbon credit trading. So as that starts to get priced, Um, We can be a carbon sink. Agriculture can be a carbon sink. It can go carbon negative and be part of the solution to climate change. And so that's an opportunity. Farmers are pretty smart about understanding how to do revenue generation and practices they can put in place um, in order to, to capture that opportunity. Now, that means go back to the broadband discussion. Our tools, we started True Terra, our insight engine. Um, it's a database analytical platform that allows a farmer to understand the investments they can make to improve their sustainable production. It also is a way we can track carbon capture so that we can have carbon credit trading markets, have that market develop. And so what do you need to do that? Those are data intensive models. So you have to have broadband, you have to have technology. This is gonna be the way of the future. This is a proof point for the use of technology and, and making sure we have climate smart practices. We could go through a litany of ways we're working with different states or the federal government on opportunities and practices and improvement. But another way we need to start thinking about this in my view about agriculture, Um, And about the future and the implications of climate investment, especially this administration or the upcoming administration has started to to, uh, push on this and we saw this start to occur in California, California, that state has now said that you're going to go to electric vehicles, no combustion engine, um, a vehicle can start to be uh, purchased by 2035. So let's think about this. Now, I sit on a board of a a PACCAR, the manufacturer, Peter Belt, Kenworth, and Doff Trucks. So I get a lot of access to understanding battery technology in the acceleration and the use of hybrids in the electric vehicles. We can talk about the the policies on the farm, but there's also other um, implications for biofuels. Because the reality is, as we go to electrification of the transportation sector over the next number of years, and as incentives are pushed, there will be an accelerated pace for that and thus the reduction in the utilization of biofuels. If that happens, we need to sit there and think forward about what the implications are for corn price, for bean price. You know, what is it? 40% of corn goes into um, ethanol. Biofuels, I want to say it's like 18% or so of beans used in biofuels for, um, in the diesel side. So when we sit there and think about it, we think about the future. The, the likely policies that will come forward, how do we make sure that our members are well uh, situated the farmers are well situated to have opportunity and also to address some of the carryover implications of potential policy changes that may me accelerate Uh, a transition to a different type of, um, uh, you know, EV type of transportation sector.
3: Ford said the industry also must continue to strive for diversity and inclusion and not shy away from difficult conversations.
6: I think all of us want to be valued for the work that we provide, the, the leadership we provide. Agriculture, I I think people have a a misunderstanding. What I find about our members, about our farmers, about farmers in general, is that they want results. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. They want, uh, you know, everybody is welcome to, to come in and to work hard, you know, put the hard work in. And that means that we... We have diverse voices. We talked earlier, uh, President Duvall and I here about immigration, immigration reform. We're not trying to say immigration isn't necessary. In fact, we're saying, please bring the hardworking different uh, ethnic groups in. That will help. And so, you know, I I put voice to these issues because I think it's so important. Agriculture um, is such a great opportunity, an industry that does critical work. And we need all diverse voices we need some of the best thinkers. We need the hardest workers. And I believe, I believe you you do your best work. I do my best work because I am myself, because I show up as myself every day. I want to be valued for the work and the content of what I deliver, the content of my character, the relationships. Um, that we we provide in the leadership. And so I do speak to this because I think it's important that we don't have a kind of a narrow, only these folks are, are allowed um, I don't think that that's the way I've seen agricult- agriculture or our farmer members at all. In fact, it's, you know, let's bring in people that um, that are excited about the work we do and value it and respect it. And so I, I, I do speak to this quite a bit because I think it's important, especially in these times that we kind of all step back and bring the temperature down a little bit and really talk about um, diversity opinion is, is a really good thing. Diversity is a good thing. And in agriculture, we need the best and the brightest. We need everybody involved because guess what? We've got some challenges, we've had some challenges, but what the work that is done every day is so critically important to this country um, and diversity is part of that. When I talk with my farmers or with our members, it, it isn't the first thing I'll use uh, you know, um, racial differences. I spoke with this, uh, you know what I say they say, well, I, we don't see that difference. we We aren't encountering that difference in our town. And I'll say, well, you understand why there's this passion, this increase so I that i I can tell you, and I'm in the Twin Cities, there are a number of very you know top professional CFOs of major corporations here, African American who's been stopped on his way to work. 14 times (laughs) you know and so when you see that and we could just all sit back and say well that's not right but that's not the way we work we're not looking for the differences we're looking for inclusive voices within agriculture within the communities. i've seen that and we have to understand where some of that work is left to be done right we we want to make sure that there's there's opportunity for all And that's part of it is recognizing stepping back as we've tried to do during those very stressful times this past summer listen to our um, team. um, Black African American other diverse groups about some of the pain they have some of the fear they have some of the concern and what we say is every day we want you to know when you come to work you're safe. You will be valued for the work that you do every day. And we're going to continue to work in our own communities to make sure that you understand as you leave work, that you have the right place for your family um, and that you feel secure. And I think that that's all of it, Would we would all wish for that.
3: Finally, Ford talked about the trust American consumers have in farmers and how the industry can leverage and protect it.
6: Well, we, we let him, in fact, we, we changed some of our packaging to, uh, to highlight what we knew consumers Valued they were surprised we were cooperative they said geez if I don't know you you're cooperative <laughs> I would have been buying your stuff all along. Um, that's great and then um, farmers we, we live with our farmers that's what, really what's important so messaging against that nobody is more respected than the farmer now we shouldn't be naive and I say this to my team don't be naive. Because the farmer is incredibly respected sometimes we are questioned about farm practices. Right? So we have to continue along this narrative of educating, educating consumers about what farm practices are, the hard work farmers do every day, and then really highlight what we're very proud of. Uh, we are proud of our farmer ownership. We're proud of our members. We're proud of the work that we do every day and that they do every day. But we also recognize our responsibility to continue to educate about what good farm practices look like the use of technology, the use of different investments um, over the long term so that consumers can understand what is involved in their actual food production. Folks are buying based on values. They're buying based on a number of a myriad of, of um, a rationale, piece of rationale, including you know, uh, animal husbandry perceptions, um, the perceptions of how you treat your workers and all of these things. Farmers are respected. We have to stay in front of that with productive dialogue for the the terrific work um, that farmers do every day and couple that with educational processes around and educational um, communications around farm practices.
3: Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, our buddy Jesse Allen is along with another Market Talk report. We've seen some correction in the commodities markets over the past week, and he's here to break it all down for us. Jesse,
7: well, thank you very much, Brent, and back for another week here on Fast Line Fast Track with this Market Talk update. And talking today with Mike Zuzolo of Global Commodity Analytics. And first off, Mike, we've started to see a bit of a technical correction happening with our commodity markets. We saw middle of the week here last week a fairly substantial correction. Uh, Overall, what are you seeing with this market right now? Is this going to be a longer term trend with this technical bearish correction? Or what are your thoughts on where this market is at right now and where it's headed?
8: Well, and I think this is one of those uh, periods where it may be useful to watch these next couple days. And this may not just be a short term phenomenon. And it may actually help us in the longer term. And what I'm getting at is We've talked about supply-led markets versus demand-led markets in that 2007-2008 model that I keep running for the soybeans. And I think this week's price action, Wednesdays especially, and even Tuesdays in the soy meal, which kind of led us to the top and put a high in first, which makes sense fundamentally. uh, we're, We're seeing the market react, I think, finally to that idea of where is the drought in Brazil because... Uh, DataGrow, a private uh, firm, analytical firm, came out with a Brazilian soybean production number of almost 136 million metric tons. That would be 10 million more than last year, and that's 3 million more than USDA's freshened up update here that we just got a week ago. So I think we have finally turned uh, back towards the supply side of the equation, And, and I think this is supportive of the idea and the analysis that i've been pushing to clients and subscribers that this is a supply-led market because we finally got rain in brazil and we've gotten some higher numbers from a standpoint of production stonex came out wednesday i think they probably helped bring some floors underneath these prices because they came in under 133 million metric tons so they came in underneath the uh, USDA recent projection. I I will note also, Jesse, I think it's real important to watch um, not only the $450 a ton level in the soy meal as a place where we need to get back up above, technically speaking, but also the support lines that we're hitting now with Wednesday's low and the Globex session of around 1345, 1350 in March beans. Those are important levels because those could uncover some sell stops and turn the momentum negative and carve us into a deeper break, a deeper correction. So I'm not sure it's over yet. I think the weekly export sales will help us a lot. One last thing on the data grow numbers was that they actually took the corn number down substantially, uh, I think around 3 million tons, and they took it down below 110 million metric tons. So you and I've talked about how in both Argentina and Brazil, it seems like the corn crop has been hit harder. Production-wise, than the soybeans, I think that's still a real good way to plan out your marketing, assuming that is still the case. I'm
7: looking, you know, at, at corn specifically here, Mike, and you know we were uh, we were pretty long uh, in corn coming into this week, and now starting this correction, and it seems like you know I, I, we're seeing it across the entire market, but specifically in corn, it seems like a lot of funds are starting to kind of shore up some of those longs that are out there in the in that market.
8: Yes. And this is coming off of a week also. Not only do you have a record number of longs, at least as I can see, we're definitely above the 2012 highs as far as managed money longs in futures and options. But we're also coming off a very sharp rally in the ethanol market. And that really concerns me because the margins, it's almost like the futures market and the cash market are diverging and they're breaking apart in terms of What's driving them? And that, whenever something like that happens, whether it's up on one and down on the other, doesn't matter. That just doesn't, I don't like that when they uh, diverge like that. Uh, Especially, I think, the ending days of the Trump administration with the EPA confusion and possible uh, issues with uh, biofuel refining uh, in the mandate of the RFS. Um, and then the new Biden administration and what his clean energy climate change policy is going to be, especially this first 100 days. I don't like the fact that the futures and the ethanol was rallying sharply and we have this kind of length in the fund. So while I still think corn has the better look to it from an export and, and substitution and the lack of sub, uh, lack of competition out there that we've talked about a lot, I am more concerned about the domestic policies, especially with USDA taking down the ethanol number again in their report last week. And so I think corn, bottom lining it out for you, corn, I think, is going to be a follower. It won't break much if the beans don't break. It won't break much if the wheat doesn't break. But I think if those other two want to go lower, I think corn willingly will, and those funds will get on the side of lightening their positions.
7: Well, Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics, thank him for joining us. And you can find more of Mike's commentary. We had a really great discussion back on Wednesday. You can find that online, markettalkag.com. You can find the full podcast or find it as well on your favorite uh, streaming source, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Reporting for Fastline Fast Track in Nashville, I'm Jesse Allen.
3: Well, you can find Jesse's daily market updates at markettalkag.com. Again, markettalkag.com. You can also find him by searching Market Talk on Facebook. He also appears on the American Ag Network, and you can hear him host your ag today, weekday mornings about 6.50 a.m. Eastern, on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, Rural Radio, Channel 147. Well, next up on Fast Sign, Fast Track, it's time for another installment of Bushels and Cents with our buddy, the hot rod farmer, Ray Bohax. Don't forget, you can check out all his great multimedia content at FarmMachineryDigest.com.
9: Welcome to Bushels and Cents, a weekly podcast from the Farm Machinery Digest. I am your host, Ray Bohacks, the hot rod farmer. And never forget, it is not what you make, but what you keep that counts. Most newer gasoline engines and light-duty diesel applications employ a mass airflow sensor. It is abbreviated MAF the sensor is used to measure the incoming airflow to determine engine load for fuel and timing decisions. The MAF is exceptionally reliable, but is prone to contamination of the sensing wire. When that occurs, the reading skews and could flag a service engine soon light and trouble codes. Before spending between $200 and $500 for a new MAF, spend $8 for a dedicated MAF sensor cleaner in an aerosol can. Considering an average price of $300, cleaning the MAF can save you the equivalent of 85 bushels of corn. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability visit FarmMachineryDigest.com where steel and soil meet. And don't
3: forget, Rainbow Hacks has launched Farm Machinery Digest Radio on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, channel 147. It airs each Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern, and again on Sundays at 6 p.m. Eastern, so I hope you go and give him a listen. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, we head on over to the musical side of the house, and each week we welcome in more and more new listeners, so I thought this would be a great week to go back and revisit some of the music from our guests over the past year. 98 episodes in and we've had some amazing guests over these past two years and I hope you go back through the catalog and check out those interviews and performances we'll kick things off this week with a song recorded at the legendary Ernest Tubb record shop 417 Broadway in the heart of downtown Nashville Tennessee for episode 35 during this session we had the opportunity to hear from Cagney Frizzell the son of country gospel singer Alan Frizzell and the nephew of country music icons Lefty and David Frizzell this is just too fast for you on fast line fast track
1: this next song is a it's a good old uh song that sean camp wrote for me actually and it's going to be on the next record that we do
3: Although 2020 was an unusual year in most respects, the year started out on a high note for Fast Line Fast Track as we ended the first week of the new year holding our first recording session at Hank Snow's iconic Rainbow Ranch in Madison, Tennessee. One of the highlights of that session was a chat with and a performance by Dylan Carmichael, who had recently made his Grand Ole Opry debut. Dylan is the nephew of John Michael Montgomery and Montgomery Gentry's Eddie Montgomery, and he's definitely keeping those true country music roots alive. From episode 37, here's Dylan Carmichael with a double shot. First, It's Your Fault, followed by his hit single, I Do For You, on Fast Line Fast Track.
2: I've been up all night, bloodshot Saw the moon fall, saw the sun rise. I'd have no clue there was a world outside. If it wasn't for me crawling across these sheets to close the blinds, wine cork on the floor, and a half empty bottle on the nightstand. It used to be the heart still. It used to be. Your black dress Laying on the bedroom floor Blaming on my flannel shirt It's your fault. It's your fault. Hey, folks, this is my single, I Do For You. Make sure to go check this out on Spotify and Apple Music and uh, all the other places you can get it. Dishes. I'm not gonna sit in the front pew. I don't go to the mall on Saturday. I never felt the call to spend my time that way. But I proudly say I do for you. Take a week off, drive up the coast Just to watch some leaves fall Spend money on a hot tub hotel room
3: A couple other performances from that session that stood out to us. The first was Darren and Brooke Aldridge. Brooke won her fourth IBMA Female Vocalist of the Year award in 2020. And during our session, they also filmed a portion of the video for this single, Emmy Lou, which is an ode to country music legend Emmy Lou Harris. Was Darren and Brooke Aldridge from episode 42. Another performance that stood out came one episode later when we were joined by traditional country music artist Tia Gones, who immediately drew praise from some of the legends in country music who recognized her outstanding talent right away. You're going to see why when you hear her sing her hit, I Don't Do Bridges Anymore, on Fast Line Fast Track. Hey,
10: my- it's Tia Goins and I am a traditional country music artist and the next song that I'm gonna do for you uh, this was on my first album it's one of my favorite songs uh, that I've ever recorded it was written by Jim McBride and Jerry Sally it's called I Don't Do Bridges Anymore.
3: Once the country went into a lockdown, we had to put our live music tapings on hold and switch gears to live streams, which have become a popular part of our weekly offerings. We kicked those off in June, and our first guest was Thomas Gabriel, the eldest grandson of the man in black, Johnny Cash. Here's Thomas on episode 58, performing Right Side of the Dirt on Fast Line Fast Track.
0: can bring you down, it can make you hurt, then you open your eyes again, You're on the right side of the dirt, on the right side of the dirt. long is forgiving Much more than we deserve What a drown the fire will burn Lots of sinners we all serve covers up our damage When the bodies had too much, bring forth our Christian name. But on the right side of the dirt. 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 On the right side of the door We'll be ashes. How do you say your name? How do you smile looking at your own children? When you know you're the one they blame Life can bring you down
3: It can make you hurt. Well, once you start digging into the catalog of amazing artists we've had on this show in 2020, it's hard to know where to draw the line because my inclination is to include all of them. But one thing's for certain, I wouldn't want a retrospective show without this next artist, the pride of Portales, New Mexico, Will Bannister, who was our guest on episode 59. Will is one of the best traditional country artists out there performing today. Don't believe me? Well, then check out this single he released in 2020, Ain't That the Truth, on Fast Line Fast Track.
11: Kentucky's got hills, an old man's got jokes, and a cowboy's got boots. Ain't that the truth? Every freight train needs a track. Some stray dogs don't come back. The house always wins. And loser just lose Ain't that the truth? This bar's got beer And I'm sitting here This jukebox is full of old heartbroken tunes You're long gone And I got the blues Hey A drinker's gonna drink A thinker's gonna think Goodbyes ain't good And love ain't for fools Ain't that the truth? This bar's got beer And I'm sitting here This jukebox is full of old heart broke too You're gone, And I got the blues Hey, that's the truth This bar's got beer And I'm sitting here This jukebox is full of old heartbroken You're
3: We fast forward to episode 62 when we welcomed in Miss Allie Colleen. Allie, of course, is the daughter of country music legend Garth Brooks, but she's worked very hard to forge her own path in this business, and this song is a tribute to her mother, Sandy. This is Ain't the Only Hell My Mama Raised on Fast Line Fast Track. say Well, we had so many great artists in 2020 that we can't even recap them all in one show, so we'll continue our look back at some of those best performances of last year on next week's show. This week, we'll close it out with one of our most memorable. Craig Campbell joined us for episode 66 and for a live stream that turned out to be one of the Polestar Top 40 live streams of the week that it aired, putting us on the same chart with the Grand Ole Opry, John Legend, and Nora Jones, among others. From that appearance, here is Craig Campbell with Flying My Country Fly. On fast line, fast track. Oh, come on.
11: When the small towns start getting smaller and the people start packing it up, when the corn rows start getting shorter, there ain't no dust cloud behind my truck a good old
3: Craig Campbell with Flying My Country Flag from episode 66 of Fast Line Fast Track. Again, we'll have more of the best musical performances from 2020 on next week's show. In the meantime, I invite you to go back and dig through our past catalog and listen to some of those interviews and performances and join us each week as we continue to chronicle country music history. We thank you for joining us this week on Fast Line Fast Track, and we want to say a special shout-out to our musical sponsor, the Ernest Tubb Record Shop, 417 Broadway in the heart of downtown Nashville, Tennessee. I hope that when you're in the Nashville area, you go and check them out. They have a great selection of vinyl CDs and merchandise. And if they don't have it, I know they'll find it for you. So stop by and say hi and tell them you heard it on FastLine Fast Track. And are you in the market for snow removal equipment, a new tractor, perhaps a planter? If so, head on over to FastLine.com and check out the equipment locator with the price comparison tool featuring the Iron Average powered by Iron Solutions. Again, that's FastLine.com. And while you're on the website, please be sure to sign up for the Print catalog for your state or region. No need to head into town to pick one up off the convenience store rack. The Fastline catalog is still being delivered directly to your mailbox and it's still a favorite resource of farmers and ranchers across our great country. And don't forget, subscribe to the Fastline Fast Track podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Deezer, Audible, and Radio.com. And also be sure to hit us up on all those socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Well, it's time for us to get on out of here. So until next time, it's Brent Adams saying y'all come back. And bring along a friend. You've been listening to Fastline Fast
5: Track, presented by Fastline Media Group. To learn more about Fastline's customer focused marketing solutions, visit fastlinemediagroup.com and check out our brand websites
3: fastline.com, bigag.com, and pinktractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at brent.adams at fastline.com.